Fashion Lab on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Fashion Lab, the first ever fashion business radio show to go live in the world. My name is Lisa Gumbel Regisford, and today's show um, is a very special show. Again, I guess all our shows are special. Absolutely. And we are discussing the power of sustainable and ethical fashion, joined by uh, some really cool guests. Um, as Fashion Lab, we dissect the business behind fashion, and we hope that through these conversations, we can find ways to develop our fashion industry offering and obviously build our economy through good business practices. We don't just talk. We walk the talk. Um that is why we're here. We are backing up what we stand for. And I think it's been time for Africa. And this is time for us to uh, to make the move and dissect this um, uh, business behind fashion and get ahead. Um, sitting with me in studio is my co-host, Morwick Peterson. Good afternoon, everyone. And today he's in black and white. Morwick, please just share with my <laughs> our listeners what, what's going on with the look today. You know what, Liz? This um, jacket, you know I was going to change the lapels. And and you said, Mo, please, this jacket is so classic. And I haven't worn this jacket in such a long time. In fact, this whole suit. So I said today, you know what? Let me go ahead and just put this on to studio. And you know me, I'm a classic man. So um, white suit, you know, the edges has um, a black trimming on and white pants. And we'll definitely have a picture up. Um, yeah, we'll for have Twitter. a picture up. And I'd love I mean, I just love your, your, your jumpsuit, Liz. It looks... Thank you. This is Blue. a Lisa, this is a Lisa Gumbo jumpsuit. I did it again. Um, and and what is that? Um, and Maria Ma- McCloy. Ma- Maria McCloy neck piece. You look stunning. You look. Yeah, stunning. I'm in electric blue, feeling electric Friday today, <laughs> and I hope that our listeners are feeling the same. Um, and yes, you are on fire today. On yes, fire. and moving on along. Obviously, this is where we hold it down every Friday from one to two p.m. Central Time. So keep it locked. We'd love to engage with the listeners. We'd like to interact with you guys. Let us know what type of topics you feel you would want to um, have us dissect. What type of topics or subject matters you feel are so crucial to be able to help us get ahead um, while we dissect the business of fashion and hope that the fashion industry in Africa can actually move ahead to where it belongs. Um, Liz, I, I, I find it so interesting. I mean, today's topic is very interesting. And yesterday, um, just before we left each other, before we left, we had this little um, back and forth about what ethical and sustainable means to each other. And I love the fact that, you know, we had, we, we got again so emotional as because I, I love your view on what ethical and sustainable is because mine was, you know, all about making your stuff proudly in, in, in your country of origin and looking after your staff and paying them the proper wages and, and the type of fabrics and material that you used. And then you just came in and you said, no, Mo, it, it's not just about that. It's actually deeper. It doesn't matter where you make um, your apparel or your your final product. It's, it's just about how everything is done, that organic. Yeah, yeah, I think for me, my thing, Mo, just in a nutshell, obviously, is... When people say, oh, I'm sustainable as a fashion designer because I am actually uh, making sure that I produce locally and obviously creating job opportunities for these people who work f- for us and all of that stuff. I'm like, fantastic, great job. But how much are you paying them? <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, producing locally does not qualify you to me. This is an argument and a conversation we'll be having along the show because what qualifies you as a sustainable fashion designer? What qualifies you as a 
an ethical fashion designer. And let's not mix up the words, yeah. you know? And that's why we're going to have really interesting guests because I don't want us to start this topic uh, without um, involving some of our guests. But I still think and I stand strongly and I get emotional about this because yeah. sustainability is way beyond uh, I am using my local people. That's not enough. Yeah. That's not enough. So we are going to have this conversation. I can see our, one of our guests here. He's now literally sweating <laughs> <laughs> in studio. <laughs> but I want to just b- go back to a topic of discussion again um, around sustainable and ethical fashion. And we have to talk about this because while the world is going green, some people still ask questions as to why should I be ethical? Why should I be sustainable? I'm like, you know what? Sit down and wake up and smell the coffee and let's move. So we want to through this conversation today hope that some of our listeners who are listening will be able to understand better why it is so important to be sustainable and this is not just applying to fashion as a business but to any other business you have to operate in an ethical manner it's Absolutely. not a choice if, if you're Absolutely. not operating at a, as an ethical business close down and go to Mombasa not Mombasa <laughs> go to Timbuktu no go to I'll tell you where to go to but you need to like people need to comply so in studio t- with us today we have a special guest. We've got Rich Mnisi, who's designer of Oath. Uh, we love him a lot, and we find ourselves hanging around with him. He's wearing a beautiful um, black and white again. Here we yes. go. Black he, he and white. He got the memo. He got, yes. he got, got the memo. We're going to take memo. a picture of what Rich is wearing <laughs> and just share with our listeners so you can kind of give us feedback on yay or nay. Uh, do you want to... Uh, welcome to the studio. Rich, you can just share what... You know, break it down. What are you wearing? <laughs> Oh, you guys are too much. Um, yeah, what I'm wearing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm wearing a black and white, a black and white, um, shirt from Oath, of course. And I'm wearing oversized jeans and, uh, stay up stockings and school shoes. Wow. Rich has we, a great sense of humor. Yes, he does. And great we also, yes, and we're also going to be joined by Tony Baden, who's the marketing director and partner in Hemporium. Uh, Hemporium is a South African company dedicated to raising awareness around the benefits of industrial hemp plants by providing various products made, made from, you know, eco-friendly resources. So T, uh, Tony is going to be joining us as well. And, uh, we're going to just have this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Keep your tweets coming. Fashion Lab AF or Cliff Central. Uh, lines are open 0861 Uh, Whatever way that you want to connect with us Connect with us and let us know what your thoughts are As we continue um, this conversation We also have a very fun segment At the end of the show Which I want to just quickly prep you for So it's called who would you want to dress and why So make sure that you also have your tweets coming in We'd want to share you your who's and your why's um, At the end of the show um, So uh, I think we're just going to Keep going um, Yeah and also uh, We have um our trend analyst, Nicola Cooper, who isn't with us today in studio. She is down um, in Cape Town. So just a shout out to Nicola Cooper. But the trend report will still be played and you'll still get to hear um, Nicola on her trend um, report. Okay, cool. Um, Rich, mm-hmm. you look very comfortable wearing oath. Would you consider yourself an ethical designer? Sustainable? What is your what, what practices or which category do you think you belong to as a fashion designer? I think it's all very it's all very tricky because it's, I guess it's something very I don't know how to put this without it sounding wrong, but um, it's something that like 
each day you get to know exactly what it means and what it means to everyone else. Like you said, it's not just about uh, producing in South Africa. It's it's really like it, there's it's more to that. There's more to that. There's also just um, the production as well and just what it means to people and how you treat people. And what you're actually doing in the fashion industry, are you benefiting it at all or Mm -hmm. are you just taking away from it? So I think for now, I I think it's safe to say that I'm still learning um, just the ropes and exactly what it means. Because I I think it's very tricky to throw around words and define yourself, especially when you're in the process of getting to know yourself. So um, I don't want to take that risk. (laughs) Rich, um, you know, being... This I, I, I don't want to say up and coming Liz hates that word Up and coming designer Right And earlier you were saying Like you know You're too young to contribute On sustainability But do you feel That where you're going to And your brand With, with your brand That you are focusing On being a sustainable designer Definitely you you always have to keep in mind um what exactly you're contributing to any industry. You can't just go in because you can. And I think that's the problem now is that there's so many emerging artists like and just creators that are just doing it for the sake of doing it and don't actually know what they're contributing. So um that's what I'm working towards, a contribution that makes sense, that will um Enhance the fashion industry in South Africa And Africa in general actually So anything that helps Then I am there I'm, I'm all ears <laughs> Just a quick question Do you produce, um, are you producing right now Locally? Yes of course And do you have um, your own team that um, Puts your garments together? Are you using a CMT? Um, everything is, do- is done in house um, I have an amazing seamstress. Uh, his name is Kina. He's amazing. <laughs> and let <laughs> so me, just yeah. And, and let me just ask also, Rich, um, with your, um, with your brand, are you looking at using some of what we call, um, sustainable fabric? And obviously that could be either bamboo or organic cotton or hemp or. Yeah, or, no, definitely. What, I, what do you use? I, I always, uh, work with the balance, um, Half and half, because I don't want to limit myself to something. Especially, like I said, I'm still learning the ropes. I don't want to commit to one thing. And because I find a lot, uh, some people would stand for something that they don't understand. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, then, like a trend or like yeah, a fad. No, or they just yeah, agree. Someone comes they just and agree. they're like, you know, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> they're like, okay, tell us more. And they don't know what you know, to say. Yeah. So I think I'm at that point. So that's why I'm just not going to commit to anything. But yeah, always, always, when I'm working on a collection, there has to be half and half. I have to use cottons, and then, I, of course, I'll use um, my other fabrics that I'd love to play with and explore. Because, yeah, it's all, fashion is just all about exploration and just playing. So, yeah. Mm. Do you, just, yeah, go ahead, Mom. No, do you think that, um, Rich, um, because we in the industry, right, that so many people, so many designers, so many different fashion hubs actually exploit um, their workers mm. When it comes to not paying them When it comes to how they treat them I don't know I don't think anyone is open about that Like I've never Yeah You know I've never spoken to any Like local designers And you know 
because because one thing I can tell you, Liz um, treats her Taylor as she she really puts him on a pedestal and really treats him well in terms yeah. of if he works overtime. Because I've been there at a place, you know, she she'd order him an Uber, his his lunches he gets he and and I think I I ask myself because then again I've seen on the opposite side that some people just get. You know they treated horribly, mm, and mm, you know um, Liz. I mean, guys, I just want to quickly come in. Um, I'm gonna just give you some quick ten criteria um, according to the EFF, okay? Around um, ethical fashion, there's the countering fast, cheap fashion and damaging patterns of fashion con- consumption. There's another one that's around the wages, where it says defending fair wages, working conditions, and workers' rights. Then, obviously, there's the support, supporting of sustainable livelihoods. You've got addressing toxic uh, pesticide and chemical use. And, obviously, when it comes to the pesticide and chemical use, people don't realize it, but cotton is the worst fabric to have and still label yourself as an ethical, I'm telling you as an ethical designer, because wow. when you do your research and look and see how many lives have been lost just out of farming cotton, the pesticides used, the way that it depletes soil, and there's so many things I can tell you about cotton, but everyone mm. just need to Google it. <laughs> but it's not, it's no good. And I find also that as I'm reading this 10 um, criteria around the ethical fashion, according to EFF, I'm also realizing that in Africa, and I'm sure we'll talk about it as well, Rich and Morwick, as we go, and Tony will also give us his um, two cents around it, is being ethical could be also expensive in this continent. Yeah, that's because what I Because when to you say. look at the price of organic cotton versus regular cotton, you want to be ethical, but at the end of the day, you'll just be like, gosh, let me... <laughs> Thank you. Do you agree, Rich? Um, yeah, it's very expensive. Um, yeah, it would make you think twice, but I guess you would, you know, just save up for it because mm. the right thing has to be done at the yes. end of the day. And like you said again, what I like uh, about what Rich mentioned also earlier is it's better to understand what you want to brand yourself as or how you want to position yourself before you say you're something and you really don't understand what it means. Absolutely. So besides the addressing toxic pesticide and chemical use, there's also using and developing eco-friendly fabrics and components. That's where our fabrics like the hemp, bamboo come in. And then obviously there's minimizing water usage. There's recycling and addressing energy efficiency and waste. There's developing and promoting sustainability standards for fashion. There's resources, training, and awareness to raise initiatives. And lastly, they have the animal rights. I'm not going to talk about the animal rights because I want to be ethical sometimes. But I'm like, listen, I didn't kill that rabbit, but I'm just going to wear so my. So, Lizzie, do you so, do you? <laughs> sorry, like, in I'm some of saying. your collections, are you using? Would you, out of those ten, would you consider yourself um, an ethical yeah. designer? Y- yes, I would. But I still, like I said, I don't want to position myself also as an ethical design. I am ethical in many ways, mm-hmm. but there are certain. Things like, I use far and I don't, and I use four far as well, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be knocked off for using far because already that puts that little box, they literally put an X, they're like, you're not ethical. Whereas on the flip side, I actually order hemp from Hemporium in Cape Town. I try to get bamboo once and in a while. And how expensive is it, Liz? In um, all honesty. To be honest with you, it's not cheap. Yeah. It is really not cheap. And that's why I'm saying it's also a very interesting conversation we're having in studio today because a lot of people may understand what is right in this continent. Creatives who are working with fabrics may know that organic cotton is better than cotton mm-hmm. because you're saving lives. But 
when you go to spend your money, how much do you have? First of all, what's your and budget? Can you really and can you really afford to do this continuously, exactly. consistently? Um, on organic cotton, unless you have some sort of finance plan or some sort of investor who's pumping money and is helping you position yourself in the way that is actually right. So it's an interesting topic, but you know what? I want us to um, also engage with Tony and uh, hear what Tony Baden from Hemporium Absolutely. has to say about the whole sustainable versus ethical um, fashion notion. Yeah, Tony... Yes. Good, good morning. Afternoon. Oh. Good afternoon. <laughs> How are you doing, Tony? <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's a Friday. Usually people rush through the afternoon. I was going to say, Tony, I'm in the morning mode still, so just bear with me. <laughs> we are the no late. I'm, I'm, I'm a late riser. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Tony, it's very nice to have you on the show. Welcome again. And uh, we'd like to also just pick up your mind um, around this conversation on ethical versus sustainable fashion and obviously you being able being in a space where you run things on that side with Hemporium and you're also trying to 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 sensitize people on on the importance of um of being able to start using um sustainable fabrics do you want to just share with us a bit about what you're doing with Hemporium and why and uh and let's let's just talk about it and and see what your thoughts are Okay, well, the basics around hemp uh, as a textile is that per T-shirt, hemp uses around 2,000 liters less water, around 7 grams of agrochemicals, and about 1.2 square meters less of land than conventional cotton. So per shirt, you literally are are saving the planet from quite a lot of resources. And... It fits very much into a much bigger picture of what hemp can offer. So obviously the textile side is just the fiber. It comes off the the bark of the the plant. And then you also got your your stalk material that remains that can be used for construction material. And you have your seeds that come off that can be used for food. And obviously the flowers that can be used for medicine as well. So you've got a a textile industry which essentially can have byproducts that feed into so many other things, your jobs and houses and nutrition and all of that. So it's looking at a holistic way of, of dealing with resources. Um, cotton is uses about 25% of the world's pesticides and is tied into uh, water shortages in all the areas where it grows and also to slavery. I mean, that's why cotton took over is, is through slavery. Uh, they had a lot of, it's a very intensive plant to grow um, chemically and, and uh, resource-wise and obviously labor-wise. Mm-hmm. So we started with hemp clothing because for us, it's also educating people around cannabis. I mean, um, cannabis, everyone thinks is just around about smoke. The clothing is, <laughs> yeah. People, people haven't, most people haven't had another experience of it. And, and we're saying, well, look, look behind what I call the smoke screen. And you're seeing that this plant can offer so much more than just that. It's, got all these other uses that I would call the collateral damage of the war on drugs, you know, that we're not allowed to grow hemp in South Africa yet. Um, so through our clothing and our fabrics and getting people to wear it and touch it, we're showing people that this plant is way more than you know, the devil's weed and we've got to <laughs> you know, rid the planet of it. Um, and it has so much potential for this country and, and for this planet. So we, we're, we've been educating people through the textiles because it's such a... Clothing is such a visible thing. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can, every, 
takes it out with them wherever they go and people can really say, hey, look at this, this is hemp. Touch it, change the way they see the plant. Um, you know, like I don't know what people I see have in their kitchen or in their bathroom cabinets, what kind of products they're using at home, but I can really see what they're doing with their clothing. So we've really used the fabric and the textiles as a message taker. And then obviously looking at, at I know you guys are focusing on ethical and sustainable um, you know, in my mind, this is ethical is to do with the people mostly. So it's around making locally, um, you know, like really looking after your employees, looking after your, uh, your, your customers, looking after the people, the farmers, all of that. And then the sustainable side is actually what the, the environmental impact of your product is. Um, so they go hand in hand. I think it's, you know, to, to, Put a, a totally organic product. I think it should look at all of that. Yeah, so that's that's it in a hemp shell. Tony, I love, I, I absolutely love what you guys are doing. But we were just discussing earlier in studio. You know, us um, being on the African continent and where we're going to with this whole sustainability. Um, is it is is it expensive? Is it an expensive process? Because, for example, if you look at at, at a fashion designer. You know, is it something that, that you can continuously, you know, with collection after collection and then orders come in? Um, is it an expensive process and how is it being supported right now? Um, just locally in South Africa. Okay. I love this question, but it's one of the hardest questions mm. to field yeah. because it, it takes people to understand the difference between price and cost. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so sometimes when you're paying a bit more for something, you're getting something of better value mm -hmm. and it's going to have way less cost in the long run. So if we look at, at the costs of some of these cheaper materials, so look at polyester or, or polycotton even, there is a cost associated with recycling that or with pollution because it doesn't biodegrade um, or with you know, like having to destroy it. Those costs are associated with the product, but they're not included in the price we pay. So as, as a society, we, we pay for plastic, even though plastic seems really cheap. We pay it because it's clogging up our oceans. It's in our landfills. We have to pay for recycling. But we, we see plastic products uh, or synthetic products as cheap. So when natural products, they might have a higher price, but often their costs are way lower. You know, hemp clothing, we can put it back in the garden afterwards and it becomes plant food. There are not other costs associated with it. And... You know, there's a great post I saw the other day, a post of a farmer standing in front of his field saying, well, if you think natural and organic food is expensive, have you priced cancer recently? You know, trying to make the point of you eat all the rubbish and the cheap stuff that you mm. think is, is really cheap, you're going to probably get sick later on, and that's very expensive. So just trying to understand that, and, and that's a big challenge in South Africa is most of our population, or in Africa as a whole, should I say, uh, don't have the resources to be able to choose. You know, to say, okay, well, look, I'm prepared to spend a bit more because this is going to be healthier for me or it's going to you know, have less impact when you can't think where tomorrow's lunch is coming from. You're not uh, yes. thinking where the planet's going in 10 years' time kind of thing. So that's why the job creation and the, and the ethical side is so tied in with the sustainability. But I can say this. We have a huge opportunity in South Africa. We are seeing our fabric sales go up and up. We're seeing our, our even our, our text, our clothing, and that the, the support is growing. People are becoming aware. They don't want to be part of the, the pollution anymore. So there are way more customers who, who are asking the questions, reading the labels. And for me, I think the opportunity in South Africa is this. 
we are told that we must try and compete with China and Bangladesh and India and everything on, on clothing internationally, and we can't. We pay a decent living wage in South Africa. Well, it's not quite a living wage, but we pay about 10 times for a seamstress in South Africa than what they pay in Bangladesh mm, and about true. five times what we pay in China, what they pay in China. So we can't compete with them on that. But what can we compete on in South Africa is build brand South Africa, like made in South Africa as an ethical, sustainable brand. Get us all using natural and organic uh, fabrics. Get us, get the government, get the DTI to support those who are using natural and organic um, fabrics so that when people internationally especially want to buy made in South Africa stuff, they know they're supporting a market where people are paying, paid a living wage and where we're looking at the materials that we are using and minimizing the impact on the planet. That is something that we can sell. Trying to say that we're going to compete with, with all of these you know, giants in the clothing industry, we get, we're going to get nowhere. Yeah. So I believe it's an opportunity and, and, and just educating the, the customer on, as I said, the difference between price and cost. You know, like create things of value, like just on the, on the ethical side. I mean, um, if we can really say that what are the costs of unemployment in South Africa? You know, they're huge. It's crime. You know, we're paying ADT, all of us, we're paying for protect, whatever. It's, it's, it costs us a lot. So surely if we're not buying things that are made locally and supporting, you know, other people's, you know, China as far as making our products, that's a high cost to us because people are losing jobs in Cape Town. So, or in, in the country. So rather support local. It might cost you a bit more, but in essence, if that person's got a job and they're feeding people and there's less crime, it's going to cost you less in the long run. So just looking at the bigger picture, the whole distance from seed to shirt and then all the way to you know, to disposing of that shirt and understanding all the issues there and, and then try to communicate that to your, your customer in a shopping experience, which is Absolutely. the big challenge. Yeah, I think Tony, um, it's 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 very nice um, information that you're sharing with us today, and I think that you're also educating a lot of our listeners Absolutely. who are just listening and just have been wondering all this time why are we making so much noise about this other type of fabrics like hemp? Um, I think that with the continent, the the sooner that we are able to start promoting within the agricultural sector, that's not even our business, that's not even our field, but to be able to start pushing a campaign on the Greek side of Africa to be able to make sure that a lot of farmers have access to understand what organic, um, you know, organic farming is all about, teaching them the systems, the machinery and equipment, getting the cooperatives to start putting in, you know, putting, putting together some, some funds to be able to have something available for the farmers who are willing to take this to a different level. Then I think that, because for me personally, as a designer and as an African person and a person who's still sensitive enough to say, I know what's good. I'm just not doing it yet because I can't afford it. It means that the minute that we have a lot of farmers growing this different um, um farming organically, then it's going to give us better access to be able to to purchase um, it's going to give us better prices, better access to be able to purchase this and actually keep this thing locked within the continent. Do you, Tony, buy your Hemporium from uh, where do you get your hemp? At the, at the moment, the world leader, and they've been doing it for 8,000 years, which is why they're the world leader, in, uh, is, is China. And they, they grow a lot of, wow. of hemp, about 2 million acres. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they know what's going on. You know, the Chinese are very aware of the benefits of this plant. South Africa doesn't allow us to grow commercially yet. And it's been in research in South Africa for 20 years next year. It started in 1996. 
So we were really getting frustrated because we, we started also in 1996 as Emporium when the trial started and, and we said we would never have expected that 20 years later we would still be imported, importing this product. You know, currently we get our, our uh, textiles from China, we get our building materials from Europe, we get seeds from Canada and oil from Canada and it's just crazy that we have to do this to, with something that can grow everywhere in Africa. So that's a big push. And one thing I want to just explain on, on what you're saying around support for the organic farmers. What happened in South Africa is, is, is first of all, your people have to understand that when something is, is made and grown and, and you're ethically all the way from the seed and, and, and further, it does, it is going to cost more. You know, the yeah. cheaper yeah. products are taking shortcuts. They're abusing staff. They're, they're putting too many chemicals on the soil to mm. get your, your maximum yields. Like, it's just they take the, the, the shortcuts in order to try and make it cheap, but the costs are going to be much more in the long run. So to become an organic farmer, it takes about five years to turn your dead soil that's been used for your conventional farming to a living, alive soil that doesn't need all these other inputs. Wow. And there was no support for organic farmers when the first l- lot of South African farmers tried to do that you know, for organic cotton and whether it's organic grapes. And a lot of them lost their jobs because they didn't realize that this transition period or well, they lost their farms, would, would, it would take a lot of input because, say, you've been using pesticides and fertilizers for so long. Now you've got to stop that. Then you've got to spend all this money on compost and p- trying to make your soil alive again. So your yields go down. You're, you might have more pests because your soil's not healthy enough yet to sustain the plant. And in that process, a lot of, 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 of farmers lost their farms. So a lot of the farmers go, oh, well, organic farming doesn't work. But it does. It just we have to understand this transition period, and that's where the government really should step in and say, if you want to make the transition, here's the support. If you're making locally, not just penalize those who are importing fabrics with with duties and that. Let's really support the ones who are making locally with tax breaks and your know, incentives and that kind of thing. So we can really keep it positive. You know, make sure that it, there's enough motivation for people to use the, the local um, resources and workers and just you know enterprise development i'm loving that we don't have to design so many so much clothing at the moment because we are supporting so many new designers like you liz thank you yeah and i will be be ordering again (laughs) thank you Um, tony just before we wrap up i mean wow i've learned so much from you today really because i was also a little bit confused about this whole um sustainable um you know but i just quickly want to touch on you guys have this um fashion um revolution video that you guys have made can you just quickly run us through um, the importance of that video? So Fashion Revolution started after that uh, big, uh, there was a big factory collapse in Bangladesh and people really got aware, made aware of the, what people, like who made our clothes. You know, these are people sitting, getting abused. In order for us to pay you know, 50 rand for a t-shirt, there's someone behind there who's getting screwed. And I don't know, I don't support slavery and I don't know if anyone else does, but if you are supporting paying that little for clothing, you are supporting slavery. So Fashion Revolution was around creating awareness around these issues. And this year's theme was who made my clothes and to give that kind of personal, you break the disconnect for the, the people who are buying the clothes with who who's actually behind it and that there's a person there sitting there sewing your clothing and and to bring people more in touch with that so that we can realize our impact because once people are aware of their impact they either choose to have less impact or a positive impact 
all, you know, you do get people that just don't care because it's a little bit of a responsibility and people would rather just look good and, and screw the rest. But there are a lot more people these days who are saying, hold on, you know, I see what's happening on this planet and I don't agree with it and I want to be part of the solution. So it's just, you know, people also, we've been a pioneer at this and, and Fashion Revolution was you know, bringing more companies together to realize we're not alone and we can support each other and we can build a platform and educate people together because it's quite lonely being a pioneer. So it's great having more, more people alongside all spreading the same message. Very nice. I think for our listeners who are listening, this is Tony Baden um, from Hemporium speaking to us ab- around sustainable versus ethical fashion. Tony, thank you so much for thank your you time. Thank you so much, Tony. We will be in touch. It's a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Could you just share with our listeners how to connect with uh, Hemporium? Yes, our, our website is www.hemporium.co.za and you can also connect through our Facebook group, Hem- Hemporium SA. And yeah, I'm Tony at Hemporium.com. If you want to contact me directly, I'm always happy to, to answer questions and, and be of assistance. Thank and you. also lobby, lobby the government to allow us to grow hemp because 20 years is far too long and we're falling behind. Tony, let's do it together, okay? <laughs> All right. don't, don't just ask us to do it. Let's go do it together. <laughs> let's do it. All right. Thank Have you. a good afternoon. The streets. Thank All you. Right. Wow, guys, as we go into these conversations, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Nicola Cooper's trend report. Keep it locked right here on Fashion Lab on Cliff Central. Fashion Lab on CliffCentral.com. Trend report with me, Nicola Cooper. Um, just to remind you that if you have any questions or queries, you can, uh, Tweet me at Nicola Coop um, with the hashtag AskNicolaCooper. Uh, this week we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, Gen ZA, which is obviously the South African version of Generation Z. Since this show is about sustainability and the longevity of fashion and how we make um, something grow and and sustain and be able to grow with youth, I thought it would be important to speak about the youth of Africa as our potential future innovators and influencers and our potential consumers. So considering Africa is the, the youngest continent on the planet, it's very important to pay attention to to this particular sector, um, and that is the the African youth. Um, in 2050, half of Africa's population will be under the age of 24 years old. So we have very very young continent, and um, in the sub-Saharan Africa, uh, 65% of children aged 8 to 18 have access to, to a mobile handset. So what we're starting to see is um, we're not just getting a very young audience. We're also we're getting an audience that is accessing information via mobile handsets. So even though there might be no formal training or formal education, that there are possibilities to assist those in understanding sustainability or the concept of sustainability through fashion. Um, 
via social media, which is such an important part of the um, African youth. So at present, the, the average age of the entire population of sub-Sahara Africa is, is between or below 15. So the global community, um, and that means us and, and as retailers and manufacturers or designers, we really need to prepare for the emerging younger generations um, and understanding that the generations that come after us are going to need resources and to tap into those resources and to understand those resources, we have to look after them um, through sustainability. So in 2013, 48.9 um, uh, um, of SA's 50 million population had internet access. And I'm, I'm just tripping over my words here. Um, it's 48.9%. So almost half of our 50 million population has internet access. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean via a, um, a laptop or a computer. It just means that they have access to internet. And this figure has obviously increased in, in 2014 and is a major contributing factor to, to things like e-commerce, especially amongst the youth market in 2015 and beyond. And what we do understand about Generation Z is that they are the only generation to have been brought up purely with technology. So they are far more trusting of technology than um, anyone before them. And so purchasing habits and e-commerce is going to increase um, with this particular consumer market. So um, they are very, very plugged in and they have an array of choices and distractions. Um, and the desire to, to reach these, these young Africans, um, has, has developed in an evolution of traditional marketing strategies. So what we're starting to see is we have a young generation that is very informed and they just waiting to be informed. So our, our way of engaging with them has to be different and has to be different to how we've marketed or spoken with, um, previous generations. Um, the one thing about the, um, generation Z is that they are very, uh, pragmatic group of individuals. They, they are very aware that there is poverty. They're very aware that there are um, no positions available to them and the likelihood of them getting a position or a job is not great and that they have to have a sort of entrepreneurial spirit in order to generate a business possibly out of a hobby or something that they've learned. Um, so it's quite interesting to see that, um, that sustainability or information that's passed on through these, um, multiples of, of viewing devices, um, 
is very important. So the, the whole idea of educating individuals, specifically new generations and upcoming generations, um, is, is needed to be done through a new consumption behavior. So they need to be able to replay information on demand. Uh, they need to be able to stream information. They need to be able to download information um, and be aware and and have access to this awareness. So um, what I'm explaining is the fact that these this generation is very trusting of um, the digital realm and in order to expose them to the concept of sustainability or the concept of development or education or anything like that has to happen on this multiple screen and, and when we speak about multiple screens they they are users of more than four screens um, so they're more likely to search socialize and shop based on what they're watching um, so it's it's a very interesting dynamic to look at sustainability for a future generation and how do you educate a future generation such as Gen ZA um, about sustainability um, through mobile devices. So just a few key points about um, Generation ZA is that they, they think in f four dimensions. They share information, so they don't hold on to information at all. They are active volunteers they really are not apathetic. And in the past, we've seen a major shift from sort of this apathy. Um, they want a handout from a government or, or they want, or the youth is wanting funding to actually volunteering and doing things out of their own drive and own perspective. It's a very blended uh, community, uh, Gen ZA, um, in terms of race and gender. They believe in inequality. They believe in togetherness. Um, they're very mature for their age, um, and this is mostly because they were brought up in, in an era that was you know, sort of embedded in, in violence through terrorism, through one of the world's major, um, recessions. Um, and obviously that this has impacted them on an emotional and intellectual level. They're more likely to communicate with images. So if you are looking to communicate with the youth, um, communicate in images. They, they like to make things um, and hand make things. So the idea of, of sustainability and passing on one's trade in terms of, you know, teaching beading or teaching handcrafted workmanship is a very important aspect because those old crafts um, are either going to die out or there's a possibility for the the need for them. So the passing of information um, is very important as well. Uh, this generation is very humble. 
Um, they are future focused. Um, so they're really thinking about the future now, which is why they're starting to think about subject matters and sustainability. Um, they're realists. They're not idealists. They understand the hardships of life. They've seen their parents go through it and, um, have learned lessons from their parents going through it. Um, so they do understand the realistic perspective of it. Um, they want to work. Um, they, they certainly are not lazy. They do understand that they have to work for success and, and they do have a collective collective consciousness, which means they're willing to collaborate with one another and understand that working together, they can build one another. So um, they are ultimate consumers of what we referred to and what you heard me refer to last week as snack media. Um, they, their brains have evolved to process more information at a faster speed, which means they handle bigger mental challenges, um, as a result. Um, on the, on the sort of con side, they, they're less active and they, they're more likely to spend more time in front of a computer. But, um, they're also more concerned about the world's social problems than any previous generations. So, these, this particular generation, Gen Z A, is what I feel or what is known to be the generation that is going to change the world. Um, because they have this consciousness, they are aware of the dangers, they are aware of the damages that we have done, um, in previous generations. They've learnt from our hiccups on social media. They've learned from our mistakes and um, are ready to, to take a positive spin and a realistic spin on life and understand that they can make a difference. So um, that is my trend report for this week um, on Gen ZA, um, the generation that is going to change Africa. Um, follow me at Nicola Coop. If you've got any questions, it's hashtag Ask Nicola Cooper and have a great week. Thank you, Nicola, for that uh, trend report. And I hope that our listeners are um, learning more than they anticipated. Absolutely. Um, Just before we go on, uh, Rich just made a joke and said that we should actually change the name of this show into Parliament (laughs) Work. Rich, you can just say it because really, I mean, whatever you're saying behind the scenes, I didn't say it. You can change. I've been quiet. Okay. All right. Anyway, lines are open. WeChat on Cliff Central is open. You can always reach out to Fashion Lab Africa on Insta. You can reach out to us um, on Twitter at Fashion Lab AF. And Rich, just one more thing before we go to who would you want to address our favorite, um, segment um to end the show because it's a uh, electric friday right yeah tell us a bit about this new lookbook i'm just seeing everybody and from e- lloyd Lutz. shout out to you lloyd. everybody's going on about this um so um when was it two weeks ago um i collaborated with uh kristen lee mormon and gabriella kanemir on uh the lookbook for the women's wear shoot and yeah, uh, we decided to use boys for it and we shot it at my grandmother's house in Soweto. Oh, and very nice. yeah, it was just really incredible. This, this, this shoot means a lot to me because, um, really it deals about, um, being proud. Uh, 
in whichever way it is, um, whether we're looking at it from an LGBT perspective or just about like where you come from. And, and uh, uh, just, just quickly, just open up on the LGBT because not everyone knows. Yeah. I just learned what that was just now. Really? Yeah, for real. Uh, lesbian <laughs> gay. No, I'm just saying, like, lesbian, you know. Gay, no, you can, uh, yeah. <laughs> bisexual and transgender. Why yes, are you so, so shy to say it? it's no, okay? No, because you guys are... I don't know. You guys wouldn't know. Like, I'm shocked you guys didn't know. <laughs> I'm just like, how? We don't know. We <laughs> don't know. You're to- talking about deep issues and you don't know about... <laughs> 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 no, guys, honestly, so, you need to go to school. So, okay. so, so tell us a bit. Like, so yeah. what has inspired the look? What yeah. is it? You know, obviously, you've said you're obviously doing this for the LGBT, which I just learned right now to also <laughs> just kind of, is it what? Just expression? Is it just? Yeah, like, it's expression, being proud. It's being proud and acknowledging, um, yourself and where you come from and where you're going. It's, it's an excitement about the past, the now and the future. So, and yeah, we put it together. Well, the girls put it together so well. And the whole team was just really brilliant. It was, yeah, it was an experience. I can't even explain it. It was a great day. And how can our audience connect with you? So we can see these pictures later. Um, they can go to, um, our website, uh, dot com, And yeah, we're on Facebook, Oath Studio. Instagram, Earth Studio, and Twitter. Twitter as well. Rich, yeah. thank you. You always, whenever you come, you always growing, and that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for coming and joining thank us. You. Thank you. Now, for straight to me. who would you want to address? Rich, we are starting with you again. This is the last attack. Who would you want to address and why? We're going around the table just to wrap uh, up the show. To be honest, um, really, I, real people, people on the streets, you know, um, I don't know, I'm not crazy about like personalities and celebrity and stuff like that. They inspire my, my, my work, but like in terms of seeing, seeing your clothes on real people walking on the street and you know, you haven't dressed them or you weren't involved at all. It's like so amazing because they've brought it into their lives and they're just like their interpretation of what I make is just so inspiring. Like I love it so much. All right. Cool. Mark. I want to dress this week. The person that I want to dress is Nicki Minaj. I think Nicki Minaj needs now a new sense of style because I think it's it's the same style that I think she just needs a different look. Which which is which is her style uh, again? Because no, honestly. I'm just sorry. I'm like, which one is her style? Does she her really style have... is very slutty. So can we not put it? No, this is this no. is my opinion. No. Can we can we respect my no, opinion? No, but Morwick, I Nabu. think we'll just ha- okay. We'll have to take Morwick off the show now. Morwick, <laughs> you're off the show. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm just truthful, and I think that sometimes there's certain um, stuff where you see it in where she's dressed. In a very smart, casual, and she looks absolutely. Well, stunning. those are when she's forced to go because she's going to either talk to BBC and whoever else. But normally, I mean, think about my Anna. I don't know, Liz. Think about her anaconda. A, a cl- exactly. No, but then, then why would you call slutty? Yeah. I mean, when your anaconda is out and it it it, it does what it do, <laughs> then what what do you want us to do? What but you, what, what is can that? we possibly change about Nikki? Listen, I want to dress me. I'm tired of dressing everyone else lately. Yes! In the in the in the who do you want to dress sections? I've been dressing so many people and. I just thought you know what today is a nice e- electric friday and i think i want to dress me this week i'm so happy you chose yourself yes keep your tweets coming we are www.fashionlabafrica.com is where we hold it down we are here every friday one to two central time we love you guys have a lovely weekend peace and love ciao ciao boom fashion lab on cliffcentral.com